I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Shark. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is April 7th, 1970. We're at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles, California at the 46th Annual Academy. 46th? 42nd Annual Academy. I just really wanted to skip ahead in history. It's totally fine. <laughs> 42nd Annual Academy Awards presentation honoring the best films of 1969. We've had no host tonight. It's just been the Friends of Oscar presenting the awards 17 different friends of oscar ironically a lot of them not oscar winners and um so we're just finally here for the final award of the night who knows who's going to send us off but i do know that we are going to name a best picture right now the envelope please and the winner is midnight cowboy i'm walking here i'm walking here I mean, like, I'm assuming somebody went woohoo at some point, you know, like, after they won oh, Oscar. I'm sure several did. I bet they did. <laughs> you know, it's what's interesting about this ceremony in particular that I found out, it has the highest Nielsen rating among any other Oscar ceremony. So the most people watched this ceremony than in any other Oscar year. So we've reached the heights. <laughs> we have, we have. Um, yeah, it had. It seems that 43% of the viewing audience was watching um, the... That's 43% of the televisions in America had the Academy yeah. Awards on. That's that's wow. what that, that rating means. So, yeah, you know. that's pretty... That's, that is quite high. That is... <laughs> That is that is quite high, and you gotta wonder like what was the big draw this year? There there wasn't a host. There wasn't yeah, um, no, that's true. Necessarily a big. Um, there were some big movies, but I wouldn't say. I mean, maybe like Butch Cassidy was a pretty big. Hit. I mean, they were there were some big hits in here. That's that's incorrect yeah. to suggest, but I mean, like it's not like a Titanic year, you know. Um, right, so you're yeah. wondering. I, I'm just curious, like what was it that. Made people go, yeah, ah, this is the I mean, year. Maybe, maybe it's just that the Oscars finally started to get a uh, reputation as being uh, a big show, an event, you know, something to show up to uh, as like a big party night, you know, and a lot of people really wanted to take part in it this year, I think. Yeah. 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 That, And maybe they just wanted to see John Wayne win his Oscar. I don't know. Um, that very well could be. You know, um, because he was popular back then, even though this is right around the time he said his most problematic and awful sentences ever. Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Um, Correct. (laughs) But, I mean, why get into that Playboy interview? Um, True Grit does have a sequel, um, (laughs) the movie he won for, and the sequel is called Rooster Cogburn. Yep. And it stars none other than, wait for it. Waiting for it. it. it, it, Hold on. Waiting for it. Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. There it is. Catherine Hepburn and John Wayne. (laughs) 
I was waiting for it. I'm like, give us that Catherine Hepburn credit. Come on. I love that. You do. So uh, I have a feeling I, um, I I would probably enjoy Rooster Cogburn more, though I have not yet to see it. Um, I haven't seen it either. Um, so uh, let's talk about the Oscars, Sam. Uh, tell me. Tell yes. me. Yes. Tell me mm. how you feel about our first ceremony that took place in the 19th. We are in the 70s. Sam. I'm so glad we're in the 70s. This is one of my favorite decades for movies. Even though the films we're talking about today took place in the 60s, we are now in the 70s. It just feels right. It feels like we've actually kind of gone over a major milestone. I think getting through the 60s and getting into the 70s really is a tipping point for the film industry. And you see that here too. You know, we have our first X-rated film winning Best Picture. We'll get into more about Midnight Cowboy later, but you also have every um, movie with a nominated performer, and also, I mean, just every major nominated film in general this year, they were all in color. So we're really kind of distancing ourselves from that black and white trend. We are now in color films, and our subject matter is finally just getting grittier and grittier, which we're going to see a lot more in the 70s, but... Are you talking like, about Hello, Dolly? You're talking about Hello, Dolly, aren't you? Lord in heaven. What? Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, what? I just can't believe it. You're... <laughs> I sure am. I sure am. Man, that, that movie just really gets you. <laughs> I... <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I was just thinking about how uh, one of the, of course, big movies of uh, last year was uh none other than uh once upon a time in hollywood and Mm -hmm. um once upon a time hollywood took place in 1969 and i was just thinking about how uh we we were just watching uh you know a a year ago we were talking about a movie um that uh used this period as um as a setting and uh, these are the movies that represent uh, that period. And I am also mentioning this because when we get into some of these movies, I feel something that Quentin Tarantino did quite well in that film is he captured the feel of these movies, if that makes sense. Absolutely, um, yes. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly with our Best Picture winner, which we'll get to um yes in a little bit um i i mentioned at the top of the show that this was there was no host for the second year in a row which interestingly has happened two years in a row uh for us as well might happen a third i haven't heard a host announce of you um for this year yeah, I, I don't know so. um but this year the friends of oscars presented the awards there were 17 of these friends and I just think it's an interesting list of people. So I just want to, I want to read it off real quickly. It's Bob Hope, of course, who's always there. Uh, John Wayne, Barbara Streisand, Fred Astaire, John Voight, Myrna Loy, Clint Eastwood, Raquel Welch, Candace Bergen, James Earl Jones, Catherine Ross, Cliff Robertson, Ali McGraw, Barbara McNair, Elliot Gould, Claudia Cardinal, uh, excuse me, and Elizabeth Taylor. Mm. <laughs> Is that just a random selection of people? 
It just it feels, is a random selection. You know, I guess it does kind of feel like it does yeah, feel like some big performers from yesteryear and also some big performers from the '60s. It is kind of a a mixed bag of the past and the present. You know, nineteen sixty nine popularity. Which is probably the intention. I think is one of the interesting things yeah. about these uh, years that we're covering right now is that there is that. I mean, like we discussed last year with um, with uh, Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand, you have that kind of yep. baton um, toss that's happening. Very so, true. I guess you don't toss yeah. a baton. You you hand it off. <laughs> Twirl that thing. You Tell know. me, Rince, do you have any snubs from this year? People you think should have gotten the nom. Or movies you think should have gotten the nom? Um, there's one snub I will talk about later because it has okay. to do with our best picture winner. Just a nomination I would have liked to have seen. Um, okay. I think my only snub besides that is um, I personally would have put the movie Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice in uh more categories i would have Mm -hmm. um given it a uh a director nom probably a picture nom um i uh i really like bob and carol and ted and alice uh, a lot okay so i also really like ingrid i like ingrid borgman's performance in cactus flower um sure uh, i see that yeah yeah um Actually, I really like Cactus Flower, too, that I'm talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. That would be... That movie is is maybe not a picture dom or anything like that. But, I mean, uh, maybe like... Uh, maybe a screenplay nom uh, based on another medium. It was from a play. Uh, that sure. would have been fine with me. Um, so, I don't know. It's a good year. I'm not. I'm not particularly upset about any nominees, though. So, you know. Yeah. It's it's cool. Sure. For me, I would say the only snubs that I have oh. are... Oh. Yeah. I want to see what you say, because I just realized something, and I now am upset about something. <laughs> <laughs> My snubs are in the leading actor race. I would put both Robert Redford and Paul Newman in for Butch Cassidy. I'll jump first. Nope. Then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim! <laughs> Why are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. I oh. think it is the pinnacle performance for both of them, and this is kind of the film that creates that on-screen duo that we mm. get to see more of in the 1970s. And mm. I think they're they're never better than in these two parts. It's such a great co-lead in a film, another co-lead um, in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been it would have been interesting to have four performances from two movies in the best actor. That would race. be interesting. Yeah. Um Oh god. Mm. Okay. Um I I agree. I'm going to second what you just said. But how the hell is they shoot horses don't they not nominated for best picture? I'm so Okay, good. I'm glad we're getting into this. Yes. Oh I'm my god. I I just, like, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that it isn't in that category because it's in so many other categories, <laughs> you know? Actually, okay, this is a great transition because They Shoot Horses, Don't They? is actually the film that I want to spotlight this week. I don't know if you were going to spotlight the same one. Did we choose the same movie? Uh, Sam, I 
I I knew <laughs> I had read before that it wasn't nominated for best picture. It was I knew it was that factoid of having all these nominations but not being nominated for best picture. I knew that. I knew that consciously. Yes. But as I was like uh looking over this year over the last day or so, um it just didn't click until mm. this moment for me and Boom. it completely changes my view of the year. So go ahead. I want you to talk about this movie because I I love this movie. Anyway. Amazing. Yeah, it is cuckoo bonkers bananas to me that it doesn't get a Best Picture nomination either. It does hold the record for most nominations without a Best Picture nomination. That is nine nominations it had this year and won several, or maybe just the one, just supporting actor for Gig Young. Um, but it, it was featured in nine categories. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this movie, to me, this movie just screams oscar bait today you know you have a director like Sidney pollack a leading actress like jane fonda who were still getting established around 1969 but you look at this film today and you're right it's just baffling that it doesn't break into the biggest race of the night for those who haven't seen they shoot horses don't they uh it's a movie set during the great depression and it follows the lives of several contestants for a dance marathon where you would compete for money and each contestant has his or own, her own story as to why they're competing. And their lives kind of start to really unravel as the hours they're dancing this competition turn into days, turn into weeks. Um, and it's just brutal to watch. But I really love this movie. It's really, really great. It's tragic. It is tragic to watch. Just be aware you're not watching a happy movie. Um to me, ultimately, this movie is an actor's vehicle, and I think that's why so many performances get acknowledged by the Academy here. There are three acting nominations, and maybe that's why it didn't break into the Best Picture race. I still think it's crazy, but I can see how it does get more momentum and traction in the performance categories and the technical categories like costume and set design. They do recreate the Great Depression era very well in this movie. Um, and I also just really love that this is Jane Fonda's first Oscar nomination. I think it's such a great representation of what she's capable of doing and what we're going to see more of her in the 1970s. Um, and, yeah, basically, and this is you just like... see... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, basically, basically, you just see the lengths that human beings were willing to go through when they're pushed to the very brink. It's a movie about survival, right? And understanding when, I mean, understanding when someone is broken and has crossed that limit. Yeah, it's not something that you really get out of your head very easily. Oh, no. And it has one of my favorite endings of any movie ever. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's something that will be, like, you could go years without seeing this film. And I, I guarantee you, you will remember exactly what the ending is. Um, Absolutely. It is it is bone chilling, and yeah. um, uh, and when you get to the the point where you understand what the title means in the movie, it's like ugh. yes, because um, it is like a, a very odd title for a film, and then you see where it comes from and what happens, and it's like oh yeah, I get it. Yikes. <laughs> um, and uh oh man, and there's this um. Uh, who is the who's the who's the, is it uh red buttons is that right red buttons um, yeah yep uh who plays there's the scene with him and jane fonda on the dance floor um mm -hmm. 
in the marathon dancing and i i mean like i there, i can't say anything because i don't want to spoil anything but it's like it's 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 tragic and it's a gut yeah. punch and mm-hmm. and i don't think there's a movie that better displays what the desperation of the depression must have been like um i i mean it is it's such a good movie and yep i i'm just gonna say this right now it is my best picture of 1969 uh, yes good good, <laughs> um, good. i'm so and I will glad say, you... gig young who does win supporting actor i think the only performer who does win he's very strong in this movie kind should of toes that up... line we should talk about gig young <laughs> we should talk about gig young yeah go for it um do you know about gig young's death out of curiosity no. No. Well, you're okay. Here we go. Um, first of all, Gig Young <laughs> had um, had a had a very long career. Um, he's in a Betty Davis movie called Old Acquaintance, which is kind of his first big thing. Um, he ended up uh, being in big movies like The Three Musketeers for MGM, and um, he. Uh, uh, he was uh, in just movie after movie in the 1950s and the 1960s. Uh, he was sometimes a leading man, but but usually the other, the other guy, the one who would lose the girl. You know, um, like mm-hmm. he loses. Uh, I'm looking at his uh, uh, biography right now. Um, he loses uh, Joan Crawford to Michael Wildling and Torch Song. He loses. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor to Fernando Lamas and the girl who had everything. He um, loses Doris Day to Frank Sinatra and Young at Heart. Um, so that's just kind of where his career was. You know, he he's the second lead in a few Doris Day movies, actually. Also, uh, that touch of Mink and Teacher's Pet. But, um, but, you know, then he did this movie and got his Oscar uh, so career is like at a height at this point, but then you know uh, his alcoholism starts becoming a problem, and then um, on October nineteenth, nineteen seventy eight, he and his wife are found dead in their apartment in Manhattan, and they figured out it was a murder suicide. He killed his wife and then he killed himself. Wow, and that's how he died. Oofta, good lord. So very, very problematic death for a person yeah. that nobody realized had these issues, clearly. Um, right. And ironically, the last movie he made was called uh, The Game of Death. Wow. And before that, the last movie was The Hindenburg, which is another <laughs> analogy altogether. <laughs> yeah, just kind of playing with fire there. Good lord. Yeah, um, so... That's kind of a bitter taste, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bitter taste. Sorry to bring it down there, but I feel like, uh, I feel like you had to know about Gig Young's history. Sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, even in his performance in They Shoot Horses, it's... It's very dark. It is a very dark, weathered, beaten down kind of performance. So you, I guess you can kind of, you see the pain and I guess the trauma that's probably just behind his eyes there, which lingered i guess the rest of his life goodness yeah mm. goodness goodness but it yeah, is but a great it is a great performance he's the uh, he's like the master of ceremonies 
dude, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, he's um, running the whole dance competition. Yeah, it's it is a great performance and a really good movie. I love that it's your best picture. That's amazing. I think it's very solid. Yeah. Um Anyway, uh I guess I'll spotlight uh <laughs> Yeah, late on me. Um I mentioned it a second ago in Snobs, but I really really like the movie Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Um, which is a uh, kind of um, sophisticated modern comedy about uh, two couples um, played by Natalie Wood and, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of his name, Uh, uh, Robert, uh, um, oh, come on, come on, come on, Culp, Robert Culp is his name. Mm and then we have Elliot Gould and Diane Cannon. Um, at the time, interestingly, Elliot Gould was Mr. Barbara Streisand. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, later to become Ross and Monica's dad on Friends. Um, yep. Very important to mention that. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is his breakout role, and he would be a, a kind of an unlikely leading man throughout the 70s. And... Um, uh, and then Diane Cannon, this was kind of her breakout role after only making a few uh, TV and movie appearances in the mid-60s uh, and then essentially retiring um, to marry Cary Grant. And um, Cary Grant didn't want her to act while they were together. Um, wow. And then uh, she gave birth to his only child, Jennifer Grant, who also has a Friends connection because she plays the crazy lady in the episode of Friends where uh, Chandler can't fire the girl who works for him. Um, <laughs> oh my if you gosh, remember that, that episode. Is, that's so true. <laughs> I know, that's Cary Grant's daughter. Wow. FYI. That's um, amazing. But uh, I know, I know, just uh, random friends connections here in Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Um, but uh, anyway, um, the two couples um, decide to uh, try having affairs okay they want to open up their marriage all right Mm -hmm. and it's gonna the whole movie kind of culminates in them um uh attempting and i'll let you watch the movie to find out if what happens um a uh group session (laughs) and so so it's super it's a super fun sex comedy in a lot of ways it's very 1960s and it's a wow. uh, late 60s i should say very right. hippie era um you know the whole movie starts out with natalie wood and robert culp at this um kind of uh uh like couples retreat thing where they're doing these <laughs> weird like psychiatric uh evaluations and group therapy sessions and everyone's acting very bizarre in a way that only makes sense in the late sixties and, um, and, you know, and we're going, this is right when everything's being very naturalistic. And so, you know, they, it's very slow burn, but very funny. And then, um, the endings kind of, the endings kind of bizarre in like the best possible way. Um, they do the song what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Um, (laughs) which I think I, I think I in a, inaccurately credited to um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner last a couple weeks ago. I apologize for that. That is not the song from that movie. <laughs> um, there that you have is it. 
that's what they use in in this film um there's a different uh um the the song in guess who's coming to dinner is that's the story of love um i love is in the title of both of them forgive me for confusing them um and uh the most fun part of this film is that you get to watch natalie wood who at this point uh, had actually taken a couple of years off. Um, she had had uh, her ch- her first child, um, uh, Natasha uh, Gregson um, Wagner, uh, who is not uh, Robert Wagner's daughter, but she has she adopted his name. Um, she's married to. Uh, I'm sorry, I have so many random facts about this movie, and people connected <laughs> to it. Um, uh, Natasha Gregson Wagner, I recently discovered, is married to Barry Watson, who played Matt on Seventh Heaven. Um, for anyone who grew <laughs> up watching Seventh Heaven like me, um, for all you but, Seventh Heaven fans out there, <laughs> I mean, so much '90s TV in this movie. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> um, Natalie Wood, who we watched grow up um, uh, in Miracle on 34th Street, a movie we discussed here on this podcast, uh, where she's the cutest child ever, probably should have gotten a Best Supporting Actress nomination for that. Um, We see her uh, as the teen in Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, We see her um, a little bit older in movies like West Side Story and um, Splendor in the Grass, where she really comes into her own. And uh, then uh, Love with the Proper Stranger. And now we get to see her play this married lady with kids who's swinging, you mm-hmm. know? True, and yeah. It's such a it's such a lovely um, career arc to watch uh, how she is in these studio-era films that are so studio-bound, how she moves into uh, material that's more... Um, method um and then she ends up in material that's so was so modern you know and i i love i love her career it's such a it's such a fun career yeah Um, she definitely like ebbs and flows with the decades and the changing of the times quite which i will say i will say if anybody's interested in career um my friends uh, Oriana and Maureen are actually currently doing their own podcast called Hollywoodography, and their first season mm-hmm. is on Natalie Wood. In case anyone wants to know all about Natalie Wood, so just thought I would mention that's that. amazing. Yes, yes. Um, so anyway, you should watch Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, and they shoot horses, don't they? Definitely. Neither yes. of which are nominated for Best Picture and both of which should be. That's all I'm saying. I know. Ah. All right, let's move into our Best Picture winner, though. Let's get into Midnight Cowboy. Best Picture of 1969. Uh, I'll give a quick summary here, then we can delve into what our thoughts are. Uh, this movie, Midnight Cowboy, it shows the companionship of a a very unlikely screen pair. It's got John Voight, who plays Joe Buck. He is a male prostitute. And Dustin Hoffman, uh, who plays the character Ratso Rizzo, who is a con artist and kind of turns into John Voight's pimp. Uh, this movie is just like a psychedelic fever dream 
of these two characters just living and suffering on the hardcore streets of New York City. Now, I have seen this movie a bunch of times. You had just watched it for the first time, so I really want to know, Rans, what do you think of this movie? I... I, I got. Let me go through my roller coaster of emotions while watching it. Okay, okay. good. I want. Yeah, I want um, all of it. Give me the ups and the downs. First of all, in case anyone doesn't know, I am from small town Texas, and I know exactly what the town he uh, John Voight's character lives in and is shown at the beginning of that film. I know exactly what that kind of town is like. That yes. is that is very very much. I'm sure in rural iowa it's not that different um true these very true. these kind of middle of nowhere towns um and the entire vibe of what a town like that is like um so i 100 percent was already in it because i was like oh i know that i know what that's like and i know what it's like to want to leave that um <laughs> so i was already there um and then i was loving the grittiness i was loving uh the way that it was just kind of this like unfiltered look at what New York City must have been like in 1969. So much of the movie, as I understand it, was actually filmed without filming permits. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, including the famous I'm walking here uh, segment, which was uh, allegedly ad-libbed because a, a real taxi cab almost ran into Dustin Hoffman and he decided to not break character and he yelled, I'm walking here, um, yes. creating a famous line. Um, iconic iconic yes it's in the afi top 100 lines um and then uh and then it like goes into you know um i i love the repeated failed attempts to be a hustler from john voight and the ways that it doesn't work you know the woman who's offended uh sylvia miles who was nominated for best supporting actress for a very small uh but effective part very small Um, yeah uh, I personally, if I was to look at the, the two major supporting female performances in this film, uh, you know, this, and I would say, uh, uh, Brenda Vaccaro, um, mm-hmm. uh, who's more towards the end of the movie and plays the, uh, woman who, uh, empathizes with John Voight. I prefer the Brenda Vaccaro performance for a nomination, but that's just me. Um, yes. I can see that. that I agree would, with that. That would be my my stub snub. Even though I I think Sylvia Miles is great in the little bit that she has, and I did want more with her after her scenes. <laughs> yeah. Um. It is it is interesting because it is like five minutes. Um. And she's gone. Yes. Uh. But uh, putting that aside, um, then we go into like an Andy Warhol like fever dream, um, of a party, um. <laughs> that's yes, we very, do. That's very uh, bizarre, but very effective because it is very representative of what I think that was the best representation I've seen on film of what the hyper drug culture of the late '60s must have been like. And mm-hmm. then, when things get desperate for the friends, there is something that happens that I think knocks the film down a little bit for me mm-hmm. um because i was about ready to give this like a perfect rating but and i i just feel so conflicted about it because i can see the reality in what happens 
Um, I'm going to say major spoiler because yes. I don't think I can talk about this without talking about it. Mm-hmm. There is a scene where John Voight uh, picks up a trick who's a gay man. Um, and it looks like this time it's actually going to work. Um, he has only actually succeeded in pulling one trick the entire movie at this point. And um, there was a previous scene where uh, he he picked up a, a young kid um, who uh, gave him a blowjob and he didn't have the money to pay him. Um, and he was angry, but then he was he didn't do anything about it. Well, this time the guy um, gives him money. Um, and they don't end up doing anything. He's just, uh, he gives him money and he doesn't give him enough money. And John Voight suddenly gets incredibly violent because he, he needs the money because he has to get to Florida for his friend. That's how he, his line of thinking is. Um, and so for him, the violence is justified. Uh, but he, he starts to beat, um, this guy and then before he leaves that he already has all the guy's money um he shoves a telephone receiver into his mouth Mm -hmm. and it cuts away and so we don't really know what happens we don't know if he just leaves it there and goes or if he kills the guy yeah um that's left open for interpretation um and uh, I actually I'm having problems describing this as I talk about it just because I, I I felt so many things while watching it because the guy the thing that the thing that's hardest about it is that the guy seems to be into being beat, right? Yes. Um, and he's into the violence, and it's almost like he wants John Voight to kill him. Um, yeah. And uh. And that is, that is such an interesting commentary on what being gay in the late 60s must have been like for some people. The self-hate yeah. that existed. The fact that there is a gay director making this movie, John mm-hmm. Schlesinger. Um, which I, I guess we should note here, even though George, this is I guess the second gay director that we know of to win an Oscar, George Cukor, yeah. uh, before him. Um, oh yeah, no. It's very important that this is coming from a gay film tour, definitely. It's just so funny because I, if I had just watched the scene on its own, I would not have assumed this came from a gay guy because this felt like such gay bashing. And the thing that the thing that's the th- I think the thing that I am having hard time working my ra- way around is that I'm still supposed to empathize with John Voight here. Like this is just what he had yeah. to do. He had to kill somebody to save Dustin Hoffman, so he might as well kill a he might as well kill a gay dude. That's what it felt like to me, and I'm having gotcha. I'm having I'm having problems getting around that because we're immediately supposed to go back to empathizing with John Vo- Voight after this scene, and I don't care about him after he does this. Ah, yes, 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 yes. I see that. No, I totally get that. It is very interesting. No, you're right because what I noted about this movie undeniably it it really doesn't shy away from the homosexual undertones whatsoever mm-hmm. with that scene the scene with the young kid in the movie theater where he gives um performs oral sex on John Voight 
that whole experience. And then there's also the whole tiptoeing between the relationship between John Voight and Dustin Hoffman's character, which does, I think, sometimes cross boundaries into feelings further than just friendship. I think um, uh, Ratso Ritzo, Dustin Hoffman, has more loving feelings for Joe Buck, John Voight, you know, where I think Ratso Ritzo might be towing the line of homosexual and maybe Joe Buck is more on the bisexual side. You know, I think there's a lot that alludes to that when he has trouble performing with the woman, you know, can't actually have sex with her until she kind of, like, taunts and humiliates him. Which, I mean, um... I think that you could definitely read this as, um, well, he's definitely, he's not, he's not gay because he, he definitely, he definitely likes women at various points in this movie, Um, but he's definitely struggling. And maybe part of the reason why he has problems performing is because he has, he's fallen for a guy, you Mm. know? Um, Sure. And, uh, and now I, I think that there's a certain point where the guy becomes, you know, Ratso becomes the uh, the love of his life. Apparently, at one point, there was going to be a sex scene between the two of them. Uh, oh, didn't I didn't happen. know that, but I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, apparently, I mean, it really shows. Like, Absolutely not. But I mean, that would have really tipped it over. No, but I think yeah. that goes along the lines with what I was kind of thinking with this movie is, you know, it really shows just the you know the lowest of the low the bums the mm-hmm. um you know this this poor class of new york city person how they find each other and then they kind of become everything to each other right like eventually yeah. joe can't survive without ratso and vice versa and that i think might get twisted for love whether it actually yeah. is or not is to be uh is maybe for open open for interpretation but there's definitely a bond that gets formed, whether it's healthy and real or not. It it does show that these kinds of people will find each other. And you know, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't have to like this character. Maybe I. Maybe he doesn't have to be someone I empathize yeah. with. Maybe. Well, here's, maybe that's yeah, and okay. Think, and I think to pick up on that too is you know there's all the flashbacks that we get in this movie mm-hmm. too to Joe Buck's childhood his adolescent years um and even that is i think wildly open to interpretation as well just the way it's shot what's um, real what isn't real i mean like yeah and you know and and what's correlating to what's happening in his present and also can we trust his flashbacks you know Mm -hmm. are these honest or are they just more emotional flashbacks that we're getting just glimpses of because something happened with him and a childhood girlfriend whether he was forced to watch her being gang raped or if he participated or if he or was if actually he was raped, raped too. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which then could also make things confusing for him when it comes to prostituting with men or women. You know, and those could be the lines have already been blurred. His, it could be the seed for his own violence. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it makes him violent mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really, um, you know, I, uh, I didn't, um, I, I watched a few weeks ago before I watched the movie, I watched the, uh, documentary, uh, The Celluloid Closet, which is about depictions of homosexuality on film, uh, Mm -hmm. up until the mid nineties when this was made. And, um, uh, they do address this movie, but I kind of tuned out while they were talking about that movie so that I wouldn't, um, 
spoil anything for myself um, since I knew I would be watching it for the podcast. Uh, So I went back and I kind of looked over what they said about it. Um, And and it's it's interesting. This is one of those that is like a hotly debated uh, topic because of because of the mixed messages because of the um you know the kind of weird uh, it's it's an it's a it's a, a movie that is rich with um uh in uh, rich with layers uh there's a yes. lot going on here and there's a lot of different ways that you can take the material i also want to say one other thing that i think is an interesting parallel you know 2 years uh prior to this film uh, Dustin Hoffman was in The Graduate, which very famously ends with him and Catherine Ross sitting on a bus heading towards an uncertain future. And this yeah. movie also ends with Dustin Hoffman <laughs> sitting on a bus um, uh, uh, heading towards a more certain future in, for him, um, but less so for John Voight. So um, yeah, uh, just interesting that uh, two very... Uh, famous movies best picture nominees and won a winner uh mm. with dustin hoffman end with him two of his most famous roles end with him sitting on a bus <laughs> yeah i that is wild i didn't even think about that that's wild um yeah so what are your thoughts though on midnight cowboy winning best picture i mean this is an x-rated film gritty you know i mean it is brilliantly acted oh, we but it just doesn't that. seem we have mentioned that. We should talk about the acting. It did receive dual lead acting oh, uh, nominations for John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. I meant the X rating. you talking about something else? I, yeah, I was talking about oh, the X rating. Oh, the X rating, yeah. Um, well, I feel, oh, like, uh, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like the X rating What do you feel comes, like? I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> I think it got an X rating mainly because of the homosexual Mm-hmm. storylines the plot lines and also i mean the nudity we get in here too i think at this point seeing boobs and butts was still kind of shocking to audiences where now yeah but it's it isn't really that big a deal it isn't any more salacious it isn't anymore. well it's, it's just also noted that this doesn't Bonnie have an Clyde. x rating anymore this now has an r rating so they've yeah they've kind of it was you know, quickly that it was only a couple years after this that it yeah. got rescinded it was yeah, it was... and that's what makes me think that the X rating comes more from the homosexual storylines because that was still incredibly taboo. And to mm-hmm. me, you know, watching John Voight getting head by a 19-year-old boy is pretty risque for 1969. Oh, for sure. You know, you and know. now we and now we see it on network TV, but um, maybe not <laughs> yeah, network TV, but at least HBO. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. but uh. You know, this was also before the X. This is right after the MPAA ratings are established, and yeah. so uh, at this point, X rating didn't necessarily mean porn, like it would come to be known for. You know, yeah. Um. So the X rating was not really established as to what that even meant yet. You know, um. Yeah. And now, and it very quickly became associated with pornographic film. So this is um that the x rating isn't really what we probably intrinsically think of it as and of course there isn't an x rating anymore it eventually would be changed to nc-17 so Mm -hmm. um yeah (sighs) um as for the other thing you brought up the uh double nomination i love a double nomination 
Oh, I love a double nomination. It's my favorite. I um, mm-hmm. I love it in Suddenly Last Summer. I <laughs> I love it here. I wish we had one for Butch Cassidy, too. You mentioned that. Yeah. Um, Which, Butch Cassidy is another one that might be... I mean, like... Butch Cassidy has a long... I think has a, a greater cultural impact than Midnight Cowboy. I don't know. Um, yeah. I can see that. Well, who would you pick? A, a great If pick. you're giving... If you were giving the award, would you give it to John Voight or Dustin Hoffman? Hold on, let me think about this for one moment. I I was thinking about this while I was watching the movie, and I I get, I was going back and forth. I think that Dustin Hoffman. Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> I the only thing that's making me lean away from John Voight is just knowing what his politics are now. So oh um, sure sure yes, but I if I'm. <laughs> If I'm to remove that from my brain, I would say John Voight. Um, That's, Mm -hmm. I think Dustin Hoffman crafts an incredibly exceptional character. There are a few moments where I think he maybe oversells it a little bit. And Mm. that that would be my only thing. I think John Voight's oddly like a little bit more subtle, which is just something I appreciate. So. Sure, yeah, there's that, like, genuine naivete in John Voight's performance where it's fun to see his whole art go. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, you? I would give it to Dustin Hoffman. I just think he's phenomenal. <laughs> and, like, so different. It, to me, it's just, you know, another example yeah. of Dustin Hoffman can literally do anything, and I love his performance. I love it. But why um, do you think, why, Rance? Why, why, why? Why did Midnight Cowboy win Best Picture? How did this happen? How? <laughs> well, it's so interesting because this year is so... Um, well, I mean, looking at the winners for this year, you know, it you're looking at Butch Cassidy. You're looking at um, Z, which is a foreign film. You're looking mm-hmm. at, um, you know, uh, um, uh, Cactus Flower, which is kind of a progressive comedy. You know, and yeah, then you yeah. have John Wayne and True Grit, which is like, it's so interesting to me because that's so different from everything else that's happening this year, you know, yep. um, very. And, you know, and I mean, like Maggie Smith, uh, you look at the the four of the five nominees for Best Actress are of a new age of film, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And then, you know, Gene Simmons isn't that old at this point in time, but she's a little, she's a product of the studio system, really. Um, and and Jane Fonda kind of started in the studio system, but obviously she establishes herself as an independent actress, yep. you know. Um, and, and, you know, you get her first um, uh, culturally conscious performance which is what she will commit the rest of her career to, um, her rest of her film career, uh, you know, until she becomes Grace of Grace and Frankie, um, which I still think is culturally significant because it's uh, older <laughs> women, older women acting uh, like they still have life left, which I love. Um, I love. Um, they do still have life left, not like they do. I, I just appreciate that they don't treat older women like their their life is over in that show. I love that. Yes. Um. Anyway, sorry. I, I It's so easy to go on tangents with this year because there's so many interesting <laughs> people in it. But um, 
I, it's just like they honor it's like they 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 give it basically what amounts to an honorary award to john wayne where you know he yes. gives the same performance he's given in every movie ever and i don't want to discount that because i do think as complicated as it is to look at john wayne's history it's hard to negate the fact that he has an incredibly large impact on film and mm-hmm. perhaps his career is worthy of an Oscar. It's, you know, the the part of me that knows what a racist bigot he was mm-hmm. um, has difficulty looking at this particular win in this particular year and wondering, you know, how we don't honor something that is progressing things a little bit more or maybe at least just give richard burden his oscar because he should have one you know um so i i I feel so weird looking at this right now um no you're right i think there's just such a spreading around of awards this year and if you look at the four acting winners the movies they were in none of the four were nominated for best picture yeah, and there are four you different know, films. You know, there's no very double four different movies, wins. Yeah. There's no, um, you know, things are very, are very spread out. You're yeah, and I and think then, here we have again in 1969 we have a movie like Midnight Cowboy really pushing the envelope again. But beyond that, it does have really wonderful acting and also a really cool directorial approach in the crafting of the film as well and i think oh for sure for sure yeah and and i think members wanted to kind of go with a new shiny thing right and i think that really and i think it also uh, allowed it to stay in the conversation with it being more risque and what it mm-hmm. shows it got people curious and interested i'm definitely i'm definitely not opposed to it winning best picture let's let's oh me let's either i'm really okay with it as well i i personally my favorite movie of the year is they shoot horses don't they i will also tell you it is not the Best Picture winner of 1969. I don't think it should probably be nominated for Best Picture, but Hello, Dolly's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it has a bad reputation it because it was such an expensive... Uh, it wasn't... It actually it actually made a lot of money at the box office, but it cost so much money to make that right. it didn't... Um, it took forever for it to break even. Um, so it was kind of looked at as a flop that did not do good things for 20th Century Fox. But I went to a screening of it, ironically, the day before uh, Jerry Herman died. Um, mm. And Jerry Herman was the uh, was the guy who um, uh, did uh, the uh, music for, for the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, it is, um, or I, excuse me, I saw it on the day he died, um, but they didn't announce it till the day after. So, um, uh, it was the best looking print of a movie I've ever seen in my life. Cause they showed a 70 millimeter print. It was gorgeous. It was fun. I do not buy Walter Matthau and Barbara Streisand as a couple for one single second. Correct. Um, but you know, you can't deny that she's given it her, it her all and that the scenes that have literally thousands of extras are not impressive to look at. Um, so <laughs> I just wanted to briefly defend the film Hello, Dolly, 
directed by Gene Kelly. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and uh, just b- briefly say that when she sings when she sings before the parade passes by and you're looking at this massive backlot set that is a backlot set and you're wondering this can't be a backlot it's too big and it's mm-hmm. actually a backlot you know yeah that feels a little bit like what hollywood's all about so just felt the Wonderful. need to defend its <laughs> nomination which i'm sure if you saw the movie you'd be like rats what are you smoking and ah. I would be like nothing but the pure joy of Dolly, and <laughs> <laughs> um, hilarious. Anyway, but speaking totally seriously, Midnight Cowboy is a worthy entry into the Best Picture canon. It really does say something about what's going on in this year, and mm-hmm. you can see its influence stretch throughout the decade that is about to come. Perfect. Yes. My best picture winner, though not Midnight Cowboy, I do love Midnight Cowboy and I'm totally fine with it, but my best picture choice would be Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It is probably my favorite Western movie of all time and holds a special place in my heart. It's one of my dad's favorite movies. So every time we like watch it together, it just makes me feel all warm and emotional and wonderful. So that holds a special place in my heart for me. That would be my best picture winner of 1969. But I am okay with Midnight Cowboy winning. I think it's fabulous as well. Uh, next year. Is that what you want to talk about? Next year, yes. We're going to be in the 70s. Rance, we're going to watch the movie Patton, which won best picture in 1970. I've never seen this one. Have you? No. And I can't say I, – I will say original. Uh, my, my hot take is that I am not – Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take. I'm kind of curious. I am curious. I, it's a I mean, war I, movie. I think George C. Scott is amazing. It is a war movie. Another one. Yes, yes, yes. I know. So, yeah, I, I'm sure it's going to be long and epic and what have well, we you. But I feel, I feel confident that George C. Scott will take care of us, though. I just feel confident in that. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about it next week. You can hear our thoughts on Patton. We'll see you then. Before the parade!